Good morning, everybody. This is the um, first time that I'm preaching since the music team has moved over there, and now I feel like there's so much, so much space, but I don't know what to do with it because my notes are here. I can dance. I'm not going to dance. <laughs> I feel like that would be borderline heresy <laughs> if I danced <laughs> for my sermon. All right, let's, uh, let's, let's do a hard cut to the jokey and cut right to a serious question. And that is, when something stressful is on the horizon, do you tend to pray more before or afterwards? When something stressful is on the horizon, do you tend to pray more before or afterwards? Like if you have a big job interview coming up or something stressful you have to talk about with your spouse or a confrontation that you just have to do, you, you know, you can pray, 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 pray beforehand every single day stressing about it, and then it happens, and let's be honest, it's never really as bad as we think it will be, and then we never pray again. Or maybe once, like, oh, Lord, thank you for this, but now there's this next thing, you know, but saying thank you to God afterwards, after the event, is more than just good. After the event is just as important, if not more important, than the prayer before the event. Just like medicine to relieve pain after a painful surgery is important, so is the aftercare of our hearts. And to be honest, I think sometimes we can be naive and forget that we are just emotional beings. And that's okay. That's how our Creator created us. But after intense situations, after things that we have prayed about for weeks and weeks and weeks, we need to process those emotions. And the best way to do that is often through prayer. By praying to God after the event, we remind ourselves of His goodness and power by getting us through it, we can praise him when it goes well, and we can even praise him for his peace and rest if it doesn't go well. So if you take anything from our text today, it is the importance of after prayer or praying after something stressful. So our text today is Psalm 18, which is on page 576 in the Pew Bible in front of you, 576. Now this, prayer, this psalm is David's after prayer. If you see, um, in, it's in the bulletin as well, but in the actual Bible, right next to the big chapter 18, we have a little introduction. And that introduction says, To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So that's the context that we have going into this psalm. And if you know anything about the story of David and Saul from the Old Testament, that you know that David was in some real serious danger from his enemies, mainly number one enemy, Saul. So instead of just me reading the entirety of First and Second Samuel, let me just give you a brief recap of what's happening. The story can really be summed up well in one verse, and that verse is 1 Samuel 18.12, which reads, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul was this big king at this time, but David was starting to gain notoriety and popularity within the kingdom, which made Saul jealous. 
and fearfully insecure. So instead of Saul swallowing his pride, being like, I'm still king, the people can love whoever they want, he decides to go and try to kill David on multiple, multiple occasions. Now, David had escaped Saul's grasp several times. A few times he was in Saul's house and Saul threw spears at him. Once David had to sneak out a window while his wife made a mannequin of him in bed to make it look like he was sick. Yes, the Bible did it first. Sorry, Ferris Bueller. And David even once pretended to be insane to get people's attention off of him so that they wouldn't uh, bring Saul to his location. Now, this was absolutely terrifying to David, as you can imagine, especially so because David really hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't done anything to sin against Saul. He had always acted lovingly and respectfully towards Saul, but Saul was still jealous of him because David had the people's love, and like it said in the verse I read before, the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. Now imagine yourself in David's position. Imagine that your boss at work has a vendetta against you. I'm sure we've all had bosses, unfortunately, kind of like that. But this goes further than just denying you a promotion because they don't like you. Imagine they call you into the conference room and then they throw spears at you. And you leave to go to another job, but they follow you and continually trying to kill you. So there was really no escaping there. It was a little tricky of a situation. Now, this should hopefully give you a glimpse into the constant fear that David had on a daily basis because this jealous king was coming after him. But even though his situation was dire, the Lord continually saved him. And after the Lord did this, David wrote our psalm that we're going to look at as our text today. Now, we're going to break up this psalm into three parts to teach us how to properly use prayer as after prayer. Number one, starting with what happened. Number two, then going to why it happened. And finally, what happens next. So my hope and my prayer is that you will be able to see how prayer can be used to help process our emotions after a stressful event. So that ultimately, you may grow in faith and love of our Lord. So let's go ahead and start. We walk in my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me, the torts of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. The glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. 
and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. So again, this first section is just David describing, in his own words, what happened. But before we can even get to that, we see a pretty huge first reaction from David. Look at the first three verses again. It's kind of written like David's initial reaction once he realized he was safe and that he was saved, right? He writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Do you hear David's expression of thankfulness and gladness and praise here? It's kind of like, like, like a kid on Christmas morning, right? This is the best day ever. This is the best gift ever, even though it's like a, a plastic thing that he'll forget about in a week, right? But it's the best day ever. Or when you get a promotion at work, this is the best job ever. I have the best bosses ever. It's that initial reaction that's so, I love you, Lord. But those two examples I gave are very momentary, right? So what about a more lasting example? What about once we internalize that we are sinners deserving of eternal damnation? But that punishment has already been given to Christ on the cross in our place. And we are truly free from our sin to live a life of love in his name. That's also like, I love you, O Lord, right? We want to shout for joy. And it's really important that David starts the psalm in this way in worship. Once he's free, once he's safe, it would be easy for David to just continue to focus on himself, maybe pray for the next confrontation, or maybe pray for something else good, like a better shelter or something. But instead, David starts out immediately by recognizing the Lord's good work for him. And this is important because it sets the tone and the focus for the entire prayer. Instead of focusing on himself, David prays from the lens of worship rather than the lens of petition. We'll see that even when David describes what happens and why it happens, it's still through the lens of worship. There's still like an air of petition, right? He's still saying that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies, but it's from the lens of worship. It's incredible the, Lord, the way that David sees the Lord in this moment. He sees him as his strength, a rock, a fortress, a shield, the horn of salvation, and a stronghold. He says that the Lord is worthy to be praised because the Lord has saved him from his enemies. And I know that a lot of times when we have conflict and suffering, we can see the true character of others, right? Some hold true while some unfortunately flee or betray. But in our suffering, we can see the true character of God, the one who continually the one who he continually tells us that he is. The Lord is always our peace. He's always our horn of salvation. He's always our stronghold. But unfortunately, we can tend to forget about that during peaceful times. But that doesn't mean that he isn't, or that he shouldn't be praised for it. Right now, in America, we're not in a war zone. But I bet our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now know the Lord as their fortress and sealed a lot better than we may ever know. 
Because they have to. He should be praised for that. And we can pray that the churches in Ukraine would have confidence in the Lord as their rock, as David did. And we can pray that the Lord would deliver them from their enemies and from this war and be led to praise the same way that David does in Psalm 18. So in our text, up next, we see David describing what happened. Now, obviously, this is not a direct play-by-play on what happened when Saul tried to kill him. That could be read in 1 Samuel, like I mentioned before. This is more so kind of how it pertained to David, like how it felt to David. It's described that the Lord saved David with apocalyptic destruction. And this may seem like hyperbole, but remember that David was being hunted down by a jealous king with an absurd amount of resources in a deep jealousy and hatred for him. All things considered, David really was ensnared and encompassed by death. Surrounded by it. You know, it, it, it reminds me, I don't know how many of you will get this reference, but it reminds me of the first Harry Potter movie where the three characters are like surrounded by all the vines and they're getting like tightened and squeezed by it. And the only way that they can escape is to like loosen up. That, that's what I think of is all these vines of death surrounding and squeezing David and there's no way out for him. There's literally nothing that he himself can do. There's nothing that he himself could do except cry out to the Lord. Look at verse 6 again. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Now, in in the Psalms alone, at least by my count, I can count six other times that crying out to the Lord is mentioned. But I think the most significant time in the entire Bible is in Romans 10, when Paul writes, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And even now, the Lord hears our calls and our petitions when we pray. Examples like Psalm 18 and others throughout the Bible should be encouraging that our God is not some cosmic entity that is indifferent to us, but an entirely personal and loving God who desires to hear our prayers. So the Lord hears David's call for help, and what happens next is intense. Look at verse 7. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. That's incredible, right? We have to remember that the Lord is not just God over us, but also God over all of nature. We're not the only thing of God's creation walking around here. In our text, in verse 11, he controls the darkness and the clouds. And in verses 14 and 15, he controls lightning and the very foundation of the earth. Our God is completely over nature and earth, something that our earthly enemies like Saul will never have. Psalm 24 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Hebrews 1 says that God upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not to mention the countless times in the Bible that God controls nature, like, you know, the splitting of the Red Sea, earthquakes, or you know, creating everything in Genesis 1, right? And we see that calling upon the Lord is not some last-ditch effort, not a Hail Mary when all seems lost. 
We should call upon the Lord every single day in prayer because we know from his word that he will answer us. First Peter says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if you are struggling, if you are going through a trial, if you feel as though the snares of death are surrounding you, please pray out to God. Cry out to him. He cares for you. And next we see what that crying out leads to. Look at verses 16 through 18. We see the Lord's deliverance of David. Not only did God rescue David, but he also brought him to safety. That's what our God does. He rescues us when our enemies are too strong and too mighty for us. So when we look at how to start our after prayers, start with recounting how the Lord heard your cry and how the Lord delivered you because it's the perfect stepping stone then to praise and to worship. And remember that being in the need of a Savior is, is, is not a bad place to be, especially when our Savior is our God who hears our cries and delivers us from on high. And we remind ourselves of that when we recount to ourselves how the Lord saved us. Now next, we'll see David pray and write about why God rescued him. So next section in verses 19 through 42. David writes, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand supported me, and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. Now, at first read, this can seem a little conditional, right? that God only saved David because of the good deeds that David had done. And this is kind of correct, 
but also kind of wrong? We need to take a close look at here at this section to make sure that we read God's character correctly because that's what this section is, right? David's looking at what the Lord has done and deducing what can be said about the Lord's character because of what he has done. We see the main reason why God has done this in the first verse, verse 19. He rescued me because he delighted in me. First and foremost, God saved David because he delighted in David. God didn't reluctantly save David. He lovingly did. He wanted to. He got joy from it. You know, ah. or if a dear friend asks you for advice, you're like, yes, I would love to help. It's a delight. Our next verses, verses 20 to 24, should be read through that lens, through the lens of God's delight. I think that's clear in verse 24. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. That word rewarded doesn't really sound reluctant or forced. It sounds like a delight. So why has the Lord rewarded David? Look again at verses 20 to 24. David kept the ways of the Lord. He didn't wickedly depart. He put the rules of the Lord first. And because of all this, he was blameless and kept his hands clean. Now let's remember what this entire psalm is recounting, right? Where Saul had continually tried to kill David. But throughout that entire story, David has always been nice to Saul. He's been blameless in the face of Saul. He didn't try to kill Saul back. He hasn't sinned against Saul. He wasn't rude against him. In fact, David, Saul is king, and David still obeyed him as king, only fleeing when his life was in danger. So because of all of this, the Lord has dealt with David accordingly. And David's example is an important reminder to us that our call to follow the Lord's commands don't come with asterisks. The Bible tells us to obey authority. Even when they make rules to harm us, even when they don't love us, we are only allowed to disobey when their rulings specifically prevent us from obeying God. So Saul trying to murder David is a good reason for him to disobey and to flee. We are called to put the Lord's rules and statutes for our life first, even if others are rude to us even if there is political strife or disagreements, even when others look or act differently than us, even if the entire world collapses. David shows us that the Lord's commands for our life come first in every situation. It's not dependent on anyone else's behavior but our own. And if we put the Lord's commands first and we follow to the best of our ability, then we're able to see God more clearly because our sin isn't preventing us from getting to know him. And I know this is kind of a hard concept to grasp, so let me give an example. Parents, your loving commands to your children, again, when they're, when they're children, not when they're like 30 and out of the house, but your loving commands to your children are for their good. When that child disobeys, you still love them, but it's hard to have a good relationship with them, right? 
it will be hard for them to experience all the joy of your love. Your love for your child is obviously not based on their obedience, at least hopefully it shouldn't be. But they will experience more from you when you are obedient. It's the same way with our God. I think this is more clear in our next section. Look at verses 25 through 27. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purifier, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Again, this speaks to the idea that when we work against our sin and work towards righteousness, we get closer to God. When we are blameless, he is merciful and pure. When we sin against God and sin against others, he's torturous. He saves the humble but humiliates the arrogant. And this is a good thing, right? We don't want a God that rewards sinful behavior or just lets it slide. We want a just God that punishes sin and saves the righteous. Not only is that true, but we also remember the ultimate truth that in all of us, Jesus Christ has taken the punishment for those who put their faith in him. If your faith is in Christ, then you are already seen as blameless and righteous in Christ's eyes. And you'll continually be made more righteous by the sanctification of his Holy Spirit. But if your faith is not in Christ, but in yourself or in other means, then you will be held fully accountable for your sins. But if you are saved from your sins, you are being made more and more righteous every day through the work of the Holy Spirit, then just like David, do not let others' behavior tempt you to sin. The call to follow God's commands and the benefits therein are greater than any, any possible human ramification or punishment. David knew that. And that's why he obeyed the Lord even when faced with the rage of an earthly king. And the Lord rewarded him for it. All of this is seen in verse 32. The God who equipped me with strength and made me blameless. Made my way blameless. It is God who makes us blameless through the work of Jesus Christ and the sanctification of his spirit. Now next in the following verses, we see that when it's you and God against everyone else, those odds are actually pretty good. When you're on God's side, you are filled with light and encouragement. Look at verses 28 through 29. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. The power of God is so much that you cannot help but feel on top of the world where no one can stop you. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this, of course, is a verse that gets grossly taken out of context as people tend to focus more on the I and me rather than the him. But it's God who allows us to do all things. And therefore, we cannot do all things without him. And he will only be with us when we are with him. But again, being with God is a great place to be. Look at verses 30 through 42. Here we have a, a sweeping description of God and the empowerment that he has given to David. God is described as a rock in verse 31. He secures David in verse 33, even on great heights. He trains and he strengthens David in verse 34. He gently supports David in verses 35 and 36. 
And then in verses 37 to 42, we see the culmination of all that training and strengthening as David is able to defeat his enemies. No, it was still all God. Look at verse 39. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. Now I'm picturing... I'm, I'm not picturing God controlling David like a video game character. I'm not picturing God controlling David like a puppeteer to defeat his enemies. I'm picturing more, and hold with me on this, I'm picturing more of like the national dog show every Thanksgiving. Let me explain what I mean. It's, it, it's the one where the dog like runs through the indoor obstacles and the trainer runs alongside with the treat and it's like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? Now, I know we don't like to think of ourselves as dogs, but hear me out, hear me out. The dog is still the one that's doing the obstacle course, just like we are still the ones that go through our trials. The Lord can't go through those for us, but the Lord is the one that's with us every single step of the way, encouraging us on, leading us on, celebrating us at the end, training us until the day, and then training us for the next one. That's what I see here, is a God that's with us every single step of the way, that delights in us when we go through our trials. I think throughout this entire section, we see an incredible picture of God. We see him as a rescuer, as a supporter, one who delights in his people, one who rewards his people, one that's merciful, blameless, pure, torturous to the corrupt, one who lightens the darkness. He's a rock, he's a trainer, he's a shield. So if you are blameless in your ways, if you have been made blameless through Christ, and if you have your faith in God, then this is very, very encouraging. All those things, it's not good news. All you need to do is see the difference between verses 6 and verses 41 of our text. In verse 6, the blameless... In verse 6, the blameless David cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears his cry and rescues him. And in verse 41, David's enemies cry out to the Lord, and the Lord ignores them. But what happens next? The Lord has rescued David, but that doesn't mean that he would abandon him. Let's look at our final verses and see what's next for David. Next, uh, final section, verses 43 through 50. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I have not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The Lord who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, anointed to David and his offspring forever. Now to understand this final section, we need to understand David's role in the larger story of the Bible. David was blessed by the Lord to become king, which obviously was a huge part of Saul's jealousy towards him. 
But there were many ways that the Lord blessed David in many areas of David's life in general, which would later be a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Both David and Jesus came from humble backgrounds, but were called to be king while a current king tried to kill them. Both David and Christ received blessings from the Lord in establishing the Lord's kingdom on earth. Jesus himself would later come from the line of David and be called the son of David. And this is important, that not only is David receiving part, for that promise of God to come true, David had to be alive. He had to be saved from Saul. So the Lord's protection of David is more than just protecting whom he loves, but he's also making true his promises and his plan to redeem his people through Christ. If Saul had killed David, then the entire plan and gospel lineage would never be established. But our God, who is in control over everything, had sovereignly arranged for David to be saved so that the larger plan may continue. If David had been killed by Saul, none of us would be saved in here. And you know, that, that brings up a good question that there are some times where people will say like, oh, well, if Christ hadn't died on the cross, God would have found another way to save us. And yes, I mean, God is God, right? But that didn't happen. Christ did die on the cross. Saul didn't kill David. It happened the way that the Lord sovereignly allowed it to happen. This larger plan for Christ to come from the lineage of David is given to David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. Let me read it for you. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, but the stripes of the son of man, but the steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Jesus himself in the book of Revelation even says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I have come before David, and now I am the offspring of David. But that's all the way at the end of this story. David doesn't know the specifics of how the Lord will use his lineage, but he knows that he has been greatly blessed by the Lord in the present and that the Lord has great plans for him in the future. That's why he is able to make these claims in our final section of our text. And that's also how, again, a big question that can come up a lot of times in Christianity is, how, do, how are people in the Old Testament saved if Christ hadn't died on the cross yet? Those people, like Abraham, the Bible says that Abraham was saved by faith. And now David, look at him. He has faith that the Lord will use him, that the Lord will save his people. It's still the same faith that we need today to be saved in Christ. 
Except our faith is looking back, their faith was looking forward. Now David starts out this final section by saying that the Lord has made me the head of nations. People whom I have not known served me. And the first two verses of 2 Samuel 8 have this situation almost exactly where David defeats the armies of the Philistines and Moabites, and then the Moabites become his servant and bring him tribute. It actually happened. But it's not just small, less concerning, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, earthly promises, right? But we see these grand sweeping promises that the Lord has made David. And in the next verses, David read verses 46 to 48 really speak for themselves. Look at these. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. I love here how David starts out really broad with God's character and then applies it specifically to this situation by saying, you delivered me from the man of violence, a.k.a. Saul. But then David takes a final shift to the greater plan that he knows God has. David understands that God's blessings in the present are also setting a foundation for the future. God's blessings in the present are setting a foundation for the future. And we can see that sometimes in our lives too, right? A new job may not work out, but the networking that we made doing it can greatly help us out. Or someone that's a good friend now can become a loving romantic partner later. Or even skills that you learn now or a hobby that you have can become in demand or something that can greatly help others out. And I know it's super cliche to say something like God has a plan. And to be completely honest with you, I think a lot of times that saying is not very helpful. So I think a much better way of saying the same sentiment is to say that God will keep his promises. God will keep his promises. If God anointed David to be king, then David is going to be king. If God says that David's lineage is going to lead to the Christ to save his people, then God's li- that David's lineage is going to lead to the Christ to save his people. And it did. What God said came to pass. The Lord saved David because that's who God is. That's who he is in David's time and that's who he is now. He never changes. He will continue to protect his people and keep his promises. Psalm 18 and even the entire story of the Bible, fleeing from his life and being saved, even something like that, we can read so much into who God is and God's character. This is stated perfectly in Philippians 1.16, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So if you are truly in Christ, then there is no doubt that the Lord will guide you towards the day of his return or you will be brought home because the Lord keeps his promises. Even when it seems like the entire world is against you, he keeps his promises. David felt exactly like that with a jealous, powerful king in pursuit, and yet he kept 
blameless. And the Lord delivered him and blessed him beyond anything imaginable by coming to earth in human form from David's lineage, living a perfect life, and then dying for the sins of those who believe. The Lord's promises and the gospel have been perfectly formed and sovereignly protected even to this day. So what are we to say to these things? I think David had the right idea in our final verses where he says, for this I will praise you, O Lord. David cannot help but praise the Lord because of the great salvation that he has brought, the Lord's steadfast love, and the Lord's promises to David and David's offspring, which is the Christ. As we conclude, let's take one final look at this last two verses, verses 49 and 50. David writes, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and allows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. Do you from a potentially dangerous situation? Has a potentially dangerous situation just turned out perfectly fine? Or maybe you feel his saving of you from your sins extra strongly today. All of that is worth praising. Or how have you felt his steadfast love? Have you felt his love through your spouse, through your family and friends, or his church? Have you been blessed with joy this summer? If so, praise him. Now the Psalms are such a great resource for after prayers and processing our feelings. There are psalms of great praise, such as Psalm 18 that we read today, but there are also plenty of psalms of great sorrow, great fear, great anxiety, great joy. I mean, come on, Psalm 9 is called, I will recount your wondrous deeds, and it's right next to Psalm 10, which is called, Why do you hide yourself? There's psalms for every occasion. Just like how a particular song on the radio just gets us and helps us process The Psalms are the same. The Psalms were written by human beings, just like us, with intense emotions. Let them comfort you, encourage you, lead your prayer and praise, and guide you to worship. If you want specific recommendations for Psalms, me or Patrick would love to give you our favorites. When Stephen comes back, put him on the spot. If you have specific emotions, there are Psalms for that. We can help you find those. The Psalms are a great and a unique book of the Bible that help with our very real situations. So let's close with another Psalm from David. I want you to flip, I think it's two pages on page 575. It's Psalm 16. Normally I wouldn't have you flip for just a couple of verses, but I mean it's two pages. We, we can all do that, right? Psalm 16, page 575, starting in verse 7 through verse 11. Listen to the ways that this psalm, that these verses parallel what David has taught us in Psalm 18. Starting in verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, for this we will praise you.
that you are God of love and mercy. To the merciful, you show yourself merciful, and to the corrupt, you show yourself torturous. Lord, we bless you who give us counsel. We thank you that you have allowed us to set you always before us and that we will not be shaken because you are at our right hand. Lord, we thank you that this makes our hearts glad, that our whole beings can rejoice, and that our flesh can also dwell secure. Lord, we thank you that you will not abandon our soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. Lord, you make known to us the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.